We're the Infernal Noise Brigade, and we formed specifically to go out and provide musical support and a soundtrack for the insurrection on November 30th in Seattle. I believe this movement has already begun changing the world. It certainly changed me. However, trying to change the world can involve putting yourself in harm's way. The Global Action Express, which is the train that it's going to bring hundreds of Italian to the demos in Prague against the IMF and the World Bank, is just about to leave. Our method is civil disobedience. We put our own body at risk. We do wear protections because we, we, we reclaim our right to defend ourselves without harming, harming anybody but protecting my own body. Make no mistake, dissent can be a dangerous business. There's going to be large street actions that people are going to use peaceful demonstrators as cover for violent actions, then there's a lot of people are going to be thinking quite seriously about the way forward for mass protests. Particularly in the United States, it's a very scary time to be an activist. Just last week, uh, 2,000 people were arrested, most not in you know, civil disobedience actions, but literally for walking down the street or protesting where they weren't supposed to protest, but in legal ways. Steve Duncan, professor of media studies at the Gallatin School, New York University, uses high-visibility dramatic stunts to get his point across and avoid being hurt. One of the things people have realized is that one of the things we can do is use culture as a way to, one, not threaten the powers that be physically so that they can't justify using physical power back. More importantly is that people have used culture as a sort of a political jujitsu tactic. And what do I mean by that? Well, say you're dressed up as a bunch of clowns, okay? I was part of this group called the Clandestine Insurgent Rebel Clown Army, and we were at the Republican convention. And what happens, you know, we're doing our sort of clown shtick in flight suits like our President George Bush, and if the police did arrest us, if the police did beat us up, and it was on public television, well, what would that look like? The police beating up a bunch of clowns, or the police grabbing puppets out of people's hands, or the police basically going up to people that were dressed as flowers and carting them off in paddy wagons. It looks very bad for the police. However, if you're dressed in sort of black and you've got a black bandana and you've got a Molotov cocktail in your hands, if the police roused those activists, most people across the country would applaud. they say, ah, oh, look, these people are a threat. What sort of a threat are clowns? Does this mean that nonviolent tactics are now the preferred option for dissenters? I think that one of the reasons for the growth of sort of using culture as a tactic within the direct action movement is an understanding that we cannot use any sort of force or show of force against the powers that be. No respected anti-corporate globalization activist condones violence. Every meeting I've ever been to, the first principle we agree on is no violence against people or animals, and that's just written off. However, there's a debate about whether smashing a Starbucks window, for example, is something which constitutes violence. And people agree to disagree. But we have to respect, because it's this movement of movements, that there is a diversity of tactics. For myself, I like to think less morally about this than, than tactically. That is, is smashing a Starbucks window really going to push the movement forward? Or is it going to be used, as it recently was in the Republican National Convention in the United States, as this boogeyman, which could be held up and used to say how out of touch these activists are and how out of tune they are and how dangerous they are and how close they are to terrorists. So I always think of this in tactical terms. Is it going to help the movement? Is it going to harm the movement? Personally, I think smashing a Starbucks window doesn't help the movement. And so I'm actually against that destruction of property. 
So what would be a contemporary version of this kind of peaceful and non-violent direct action? A great one is the Zapatistas, partly because it is both violent and not violent. The Zapatistas are, of course, a, a rebel group from southern Mexico, and they do carry arms, and they use those arms, but they use those arms very, very rarely. In fact, they use those arms more like as political theater than they do as a real sort of tactical army. And it's very smart of them because they would be wiped out almost immediately if they used it as a tactical army. And so what the Zapatistas have done is created sort of imaginary revolution in that they have you know, this very charismatic spokesperson, Subcomandante Marcos, who weaves tales of sort of magical realists about a beetle and about ancient Mayan myth and weaves it all together into a story about what a better Mexico might look like. That sort of story is very hard to suppress. The Mexican army can crush a rebellion. The British army can crush a rebellion. The American army can crush a rebellion. It's very hard to crush an imagination. And the Zapatistas understand that. And so while they carry arms, they use them symbolically and they use words symbolically, they use actions symbolically, because they know that that actually speaks to a wider audience and it speaks more effectively or the odds of force are not in your favor. Steve himself has taken cultural tactics onto the streets of New York. The street party essentially is an illegal gathering, usually in the middle of a street, with a sound system, which for all intents and purposes is a, a large party that reclaims public space. And really the group that pioneered this was uh, the UK group Reclaim the Streets in the early 1990s, and then that model has spread throughout the world. And I myself was part of Reclaim the Streets in New York City. And what we would do is we would get together a sound system, put out a lot of uh, you know, feelers out there in the sort of underground political and cultural world and say, hey, we're going to meet up at 3 o'clock in a certain place. We'd all meet up, and then from there we would go and take over a public space, usually in protest, for example, in New York against our mayor at that time's quality of life campaign in which um, sort of regular everyday practices of urban life, things like hanging out with your friends on a stoop and drinking a beer, were all of a sudden being criminalized. And what we would do is we took over Broadway, which is the main thoroughfare through Manhattan, and set up a couple of tripods, these 30-foot-high poles, put people on top of them, and then just trundled out a sound system and turned you know, a whole entire block into a party. And then we handed out propaganda, propaganda saying this is you know, an action of Reclaim the Streets. We're against the sort of draconian quality of life campaigns of our mayor. But what was interesting about the demonstration was two things. One is, is the propaganda we handed out was relatively redundant because the protest itself said volumes about the sort of thing that we were working towards. In other words, it wasn't just like a protest where you're standing in line, you're listening to a speaker and saying, we should be liberated. This was a living, breathing example of liberation itself.